guys. This is Joy. And this is Claire. Hello. Hello, everybody. And hello, everybody in the chat. You're joining us from all over the world. And we're so glad that you're here. We have a lot to catch up on. So where do you want to start? Well, I think (laughs) the topic everyone wants to know about is Joe. So let's just dive into Joe. Lindsay gave us an agenda. I like Lindsay's agenda. CrossFit Butters Halloween. Great. Thank you, (laughs) Lindsay. If anyone else wants to throw out an agenda... We never have one. We one gladly we gladly accept. Gladly accept. So if you guys missed it on Instagram stories, let's just give a real big background in case anyone has yeah. what we're talking about. Joy spends her days raising puppies for Canine Companions for Independence, which is a service dog organization. She recently turned in her second puppy that she raised, and his name is Joe. That was what, back in kind of late? August. Mid, mm-hmm. Mid-August. Early August, yeah. Got the call last week that Joe had decided that becoming a service dog was not for him, and we can talk about what that means. Yeah. When that happens, you get the option to adopt the dog as a pet, and you decided to adopt him. So he's coming back by the you guys hear this joe will be joe will be four days in back into her home yeah so as of this established in the parish Mm -hmm. so tell us tell us what happened yeah so happened and what happens now right so um you know there's always the possibility of these dogs coming home and actually it is more often than not they do come home it is so hard for these dogs to make it through advanced training so we always know it's going to be a possibility, right? Of course you hope and pray that raising this dog to be a service dog is the ultimate outcome. The thing that we always hear, always, always, always the first question, it's like, oh, how can you give them up? Well, when you're raising a dog, and this is, I'm not trying to be like, oh, you don't understand until you do it, but it really is. Like you you don't understand, and that's why the puppy raising community is so close because it's such a weird, it's a weird world. I was just talking to one of my puppy raiser friends last night. I'm like, it is the weirdest world that you are raising something to give it up and, you know, move it along to a different path. So like the whole time that we're raising Joe, we're kind of like looking for behaviors. And this happened with Cadet too. You're like looking for behaviors that you think, okay, you're almost like mentally preparing for them to come back because you're like, oh, surely this is going to be a problem. As it is known also in the puppy raiser world, you just never know. Like there could be dogs that we see in, you know, the puppy classes that we see them as hellions and they end up passing. Like you just, you truly never know. So Joe always had like a little bit of sensitivities, meaning like he didn't really love to be handled for grooming. Um, He was fine with baths, but like hated his nails trimmed. He barked a lot. Like he was always alert barking. We have those big windows and he was always barking at people walking by. I knew that was going to be somewhat of a problem. But again, you never know. They do mature a ton when they get to advanced training. Like within those six months from a year and a half to two years old, these dogs mature a lot. And so there's always the chance too that they could grow out of all these behaviors. And so, you know, we turn him in in August. There's a couple things in my mind where I'm like, oh, I hope he grows out of this. And the first report that we get back in September was like, he's doing really well. There's some things that we're concerned about, but we're working on them. And in my mind, I'm like, cool, because most of the time, I guess, again, it's like, it it always depends. But most of the time, the dogs that are like not going to make it are kind of kicked out right away. Like they kind of rule out the ones that are definite no's right off the bat within like the first three to four weeks of training. And let's also set the stage here. Like this is a building full of to what like Mm. the average pet dog owner would seem like the most well trained, well behaved puppies who are like adolescents at this point on the planet. And this is they're in a facility where they are being not trained 24-7, but like they're not living with a family anymore. They're living in this facility. Yeah, they're it's like being... It's like a little yeah, camp. They're, they're it's like going like, to camp for dogs. Totally. Yeah. 
And so like they are being observed and trained and evaluated and tested and like, yeah, 24 seven, 24 seven. Yeah. So the comment we always get to as puppy raisers and whenever we're walking around with them is people will be like, Oh, I wish my dog would behave that way. And I always have to explain like these dogs were bred to work from the, from the day they're born, they're starting to be socialized. So this is not something that like, you can never compare it to a pet dog. So yeah, when they go to advanced training, it is 24 seven work, you know, it takes about a week to transition into their new environment. They're in kennels with the other dogs. They have a roommate, they have a trainer, a dedicated trainer that's going through drills with them. They have tests for the first three week, three weeks to kind of determine like, are they going to be startled? And can they recover from being startled? Do they bark at, you know, do they have a prey drive that just can't be trained out of them? So they're kind of evaluating for all of these things. And so the first report again was like nothing surprising but you know we I was a little bit like oh this doesn't sound it's not surprising but I'm also like it could go either way at this point and so you know weeks pass and Every day that goes by without it, because whenever you get a call from Canine Companions and the Canine Companions caller ID shows up, my heart completely sinks. And it could be for a variety of reasons, because I'm involved in that organization for a lot of things. But um, every day that I don't get a call from Canine Companions, I'm like, that's a good day. Um, Monday, I get a call. I see caller ID, Canine Companions, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> And it's Stephanie, who's the puppy raising program, you know, the head person for the puppy raisers. She's amazing. And I love her so much. And she's like, do you have a second to talk? And I'm like, yes. Oh, man. Like, I know what's coming. And uh, so it turns out that Joe is not going to be moving on. She tells me why. She's kind of explaining the things that they saw. And she goes, does any of this surprise you? And I'm like, not at all. <laughs> So basically, it's kind of everything that I had had, had known, which was sensitive body handling doesn't love. And here's the thing, when these dogs graduate, they have to be able to be manipulated by their handlers or someone to groom them, to trim their nails. They look at these dogs as like Olympic athletes. These are not pet dogs that just kind of, they have to look really professional. They have to be groomed very frequently. They have to have their nails trimmed often. Like these dogs have to look very professional and they have to look good. So the dogs have to be really comfortable with being handled by different people for their grooming. Joe had some sensitivities with that, but he did overcome some of it, she said. And then he would alert bark during training sessions, meaning when they're training and some of the dogs are just sitting off to the side and they were they kind of bring dogs out into the middle to do training sessions, the other dogs have to sit and watch and he would kind of bark and, and Cadet did that too, but whatever. He, he wasn't getting over that. And then he was very... Um, <laughs> This one, this one equally kills me and warms my heart because it is so Joe where I'm like, oh, this is the thing that they just can't train out of Joe. This is Joe being Joe is whenever we teach him the basic skills, but when they get to advanced training, they start to up the ante. So the skills start to get a little more difficult. They get a more, they get more advanced. They're asking him instead of like pushing a touch on your hand, they want him to push a drawer closed, like those types of things. So when they're starting to advance these skills and they were starting to shape these skills with him, he was getting a little more insecure. So whenever they would like ask him to do something and he wasn't doing it, there's a, there's a correction that they do to kind of like tell him basically, no, don't do that, do this. And whenever they would do that, he would like melt into the floor. <laughs> oh, Jojo. 
<laughs> like, I'm so sorry. Let me just, oh, I'm just gonna lay over he here. Would, he would just melt into the floor. Like I don't want to. I don't know what to do. But please don't hate me. But please love me. But please don't be mad at me. Like that's exactly what he was doing. I like see it so clear in my mind because he would do that with me whenever I would get like. Not, you don't, we don't use any like corrections. They're very big on like using positive reinforcement. So we never really did corrections, but whenever he got insecure with his environment, he would run between my legs and sit between my legs. And I'm sure if you watch our Instagram stories, I have a million pictures of Joe sitting between my legs. He would just like, that was his spot whenever he needed a break. And so she's like, yeah, and whenever he got insecure or kind of like criticized, he would run between the trainer's legs and just sit there. Like, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Like, my sweet Joe, he's so sensitive. But, like, I knew he was sensitive, but I also knew that he was very driven. And so I was just hoping that, like, the driven part would take over. But it sounds like as they upped the ante for skills, he was not. He just got his little, like, insecurities and didn't love the criticism. And he would just melt into the floor, <laughs> which... Oh, Joe. I kind of relate to, to, you know? Right, I can relate. Same Joe. <laughs> I feel like it's funny because when you first got Joe versus when you first got Cadet, you were like, oh, Joe is so much easier. Like, he's going to be a breeze to train. Yeah. Cadet was like always really stubborn, always really like just a little bit rough around the edges. So even what you said earlier, like you can never tell. And, you know, yeah, Cadet went on to graduate, become a hearing dog. And then Joe is being being released. And like it has so like it's so unique. Like what they're looking for is so specific. You always talk about like when people people will reach out to us constantly and say, hey, my pet dog, I really want my my pet dog is like so well behaved. I think they could become a service dog. What do I need to do? And your answer is always like, I'm sorry, but if your dog was not bred for this, it's probably not the best choice for them because it's so stressful. It's so stressful. And if you are trying to, you know, have like, if you have a calm, chill dog and you want them to become a therapy dog who like goes and visits children's hospitals or something like that's one thing. But if you're trying to train a true service dog who does more multiple jobs to assist someone day in and day out. It is so high intensity. It's so stressful. It's like a lot on that to ask of an animal. So to get to this point and think like, okay, Joe is so chill in a lot of ways, well-behaved in most ways. This was just like too stressful for him. And if you were to continue on this path and force him down that road, he would just be so stressed. Yeah. And that's what I so appreciate. I so appreciate about canine companions is their ability to identify what is best for the dog. And that is what I also want to reiterate too, for people who are interested in that, like, there's always going to be an exception. Maybe you do have a dog that loves to work that doesn't get stressed out when you know, they're going through some really intense training, like there's always exceptions. But for the most part, it's really important for people to understand the humans don't make the decision, the dog makes the decision, you can give them every single chance. And I know I know Canine Companions gave it their all. Like the fact that he made it two months into training, I'm really proud of because I know they gave it their all. I know they really tried. I know they saw potential in him. But at the end of the day, they do not want to harm these dogs and they don't want to stress them out. And it just became too stressful for him. And they thought like, we're going to call it like he it's not worth it. And that is something they are so good at discerning. So yeah, I mean, like, great, if you have a dog that has a temperament, and you always want to look for any like stress signals. And so I just really appreciate that about them. And I told them on the phone when they called me, I said, Stephanie, please, 
please tell Morgan, his trainer. I was like, please tell her thank you. Uh, you know, when I'm out there in a few weeks, I'm I'm sure I'll see her at, at the graduation and the turn-in ceremony. I'll give her a hug because I know she tried. I know she really tried. I know they do everything that they can. And I just, that's why I love this organization so much too, is because that call was really hard. But I know at the end of the day, it's the right decision for Joe. So that was something that, you know, when I got the call on the phone, I was really like, yeah, sure. Like I'm trying to process all these emotions in real time when I'm on the phone with her. But when I hung up, I was just so sad. I was like, oh, he almost made it. You know, I know that they really tried. I know he really tried, but there was just like this overwhelm because, you know, when you're raising a dog, you just hope the whole time you're raising them to become someone else's dog. When you get that call, and granted, this is like the first time we've experienced this. So I know it's, you know, when we raise again, it will potentially happen again. But being this being our first time, because with Cadet, obviously, she went on to become a hearing dog. The feeling was like, really sad and really bummed out, which also tells me like how much I love this organization and how much it means to me that these dogs do succeed. And we can joke all we want that like, oh, we hope they fail. So they come back to us. But I really like I don't want that as an outcome. And it's not to say that like, we would never take him back or anything like that, because we love him so much. But it's just a, it's like a weird Twilight Zone feeling. So it took quite a few days to process that. And I was really sad. And Scott and I talked about like, adopting him. And, you know, obviously, you always have the option to adopt the dog that you raise, you can put it up for adoption through right, like a wait list. You sort of get like, first you get first, yeah. yeah. So we were obviously going to adopt him. That was not a question. But that was something that we were like, honestly, kind of overwhelmed with because we just adopted this cat, <laughs> we just rescued a cat. And now I'm like, Oh, no. Okay, now we have a dog coming back like and I'm dog sitting this weekend and we're getting Chrissy back. I just like had this moment where I was like, Oh, my God, like what is going on? So it was just a lot processing with a lot of the puppy raisers of like what this means and how this feels. And everyone's like, Yeah, we totally understand. It's like the weirdest feeling. But you do. You do trust that like the annoying phrase that's true of everything happens for a reason with this. Um, so he'll be back. He's coming back today. Well, today as this recording, he'll be back when we air it. Um, so you'll see that on social media, but that is the story with Jojo. So somebody, Catherine wants to know, now that Joe's coming back, does this mean you will or won't take on another dog to train? Will you yes. raise another puppy? Um, and, and JT now in the house. I don't think I could ever stop raising puppies. So we did a presentation the other night about canine companions and I was like, you know, be careful when you start puppy raising because it's so addictive. It's like, I don't think I, I don't think we could stop. It, it's just a matter of when. So once Joe settles in, uh, after I turn Chrissy in, you know, like maybe after the holidays, I don't know. It just kind of depends and on Chrissy, when we feel. Yeah. Chrissy's, we've mentioned this one or two times, but she's the prison dog that you're socializing and then you're going to take her yeah. to the official college turn in because her handler who is in prison obviously cannot go. Right. Correct. Yeah. Prison dogs need like a little chaperone to take them to advanced training. So I will be that person for Chrissy. So yeah. So a lot kind of like landed in our laps at once, but obviously we love all the dogs around. And you know what it made me realize too is in the past two months, it is because we had, you know, after Joe left, we were puppy sitting here and there, but it made me realize how much puppy raising really helps me with depression, with anxiety symptoms, especially this time of year, as I start to feel the sads a little bit more because of the shorter days. 
I was like, wow, puppy raising really combats that for me because I'm always doing something with the dog. I'm always taking the dog somewhere. I'm interacting with the public a lot more often. Often, It kind of forces you to talk to people more because people want to interact with you and like ask you questions. I'm going to puppy classes. I'm going to events. I'm going like you're constantly like lining up social events that feel you know, social events for me is not like going out to late dinners or going out dancing at night. Like I do social events during the day with canine companions and like you're doing things socially that like feel that you're interacting. And so when I don't have that, I kind of freak out. Like yesterday I, or I was talking to Sandy on Marco and I was like, Sandy, I don't have anything planned today. And I know everyone laughs at this because they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's like, this is just my life sometimes. Like sometimes when I don't have like stuff going on with dogs, I have nothing going on. And Scott was at a conference all weekend. So I was like, you need to tell me some things to do because I'm going to freak out if I don't have plans today. I'm like literally going to fall into a deep, dark hole of depression. So we were kind of joking about that. She's like, you need to do this and then this and this. (laughs) But like, that's something that's always going to be in my life in some way. So I can't see myself stopping puppy raising because it's so rewarding. It's such a fun thing to do and you meet the coolest people ever. So... Um, someone also asked if I think that the dog attack when he was six months old, um, exaggerated some of his behaviors. I would, I don't think so because I specifically remember even as a tiny, tiny little baby, I remember going to a friend's house and introducing him to like some friends and they had a dog. And even as a baby, he would run between my legs whenever like a dog would try to come sniff him. So I think like he always kind of had a little bit of that. Did that maybe contribute? Sure. But I don't think that was like the breaking point for him. I think in hindsight, as puppy raisers, you always hope, you always think like, oh, is any, you know, did I expose him to other dogs too young? Or did I, you know, did that dog attack really freak him out? I, I don't think so because it didn't, I didn't see anything like drastically change after that dog attack. I think he really recovered well. I think we had a good plan from Canine Companions of like, how to get his confidence back up. But I think it's just like Joe has always just been more on the sensitive side. So I'm sure it affected him in some way, but I don't think that was like a breaking point for him. How will you, how will your routines with Joe change now that he's a pet and not in training? Yeah. So Joe is now going to be our pet dog. He does not have any type of public access. And granted, you know, as a puppy raiser, you don't technically have public access. Most facilities will allow dogs in training. Um, but any facility can say that they don't want the dog in their store and that's fine. But he is a pet now, so he can break all the rules. We don't have to crate him at night. We can p- let him on all the furniture. We can <laughs> do all the things that we want to do with him. <laughs> and he's just going to have the best life. I cannot wait to take him to the park and like kick the ball for him. Um, I'm getting all these videos from people who are transporting him this week with like his cute little face. And one of the ladies was like, yeah, he like dropped the ball the second he came over. I'm like, yeah, he loves to play fetch, play lots of fetch with him. So uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just so I'm like, it's bittersweet. It really is a bittersweet feeling, but I'm so excited to have him home. I feel like this is um, when you were texting Jess and I about this when this first happened, Jess and me, you're texting Jess and me about this when this first happened, you first found out my immediate reaction was like, first of all, I'm so excited because I think this is the perfect time for your family. Like behind the scenes, you have been wondering really since Cadet was turned in a year ago about getting a second pet dog. And you've been talking about, you know, JT is getting older and puppy raising can be kind of hard on older dogs. And you, you know, there were several dogs behind the scenes who you were offered, who were released from, from the training program, who are obviously were puppies that you did not raise, but for whatever reason, their puppy raiser couldn't take them. And so they were offered to 
you and you, you know, ultimately turn them down. But like, you've gone through this conversation a number of times in the past year. And you've always been really back and forth of like, oh, it now would be a really like the right yeah, time to get a new dog. That's but really it's true. just, you know, it wasn't the right dog. And then so for this to happen, even though you just got butters, who clearly is ruined, was already ruling your house with an iron fist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's so funny. It's just like, it's really perfect. Like the timing I think is really perfect. And even though I know the circumstances are bittersweet, I think Joe, you know, knowing that it won't require JT to adjust to anything and that Joe's just going to like slide right back into the routine and everything is going to be like very, feel very familiar. I think it's going to be perfect. That, But that being said, this is employing our least favorite human experience, which is having to feel more than one emotion at once. (laughs) No, thank you. I hate, no, thank you to all the... (laughs) All the emotions. Know, thank you to having to feel more than one emotion. So at once. funny! It's Absolutely so funny. Not. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that, but we were so in order to be on our release dog wait list. So like if a puppy raiser cannot take, so let's pretend we already had like four dogs in our house. Like Canine Companions doesn't allow you to adopt a dog if you have more than I think three Canine Companion dogs or three dogs in your house. And understandably, like duh. So but so puppy raisers who've been doing this a long time, they may have multiple release dogs in their house. So they not may not be able to take a release dog if a dog gets let go. So there's a waiting list that you have to be like an active volunteer with Canine Companions to be on the release list. And it's a very long list. So occasionally I will get emails that if the puppy raiser can't take the dog, there's like this profile of this dog. Um, This dog is up for adoption. If you'd like to adopt this dog, let us know. And I get emails, I'd say two to three times a quarter saying this dog's up for adoption. And we've kind of like tossed it around. And you're totally right. Like it's never worked out. There was this one time we almost adopted this older senior dog because their owner passed away and it was in Colorado. And they were like, do you want to take this dog? And I was like, oh my gosh, this would be perfect. Cause it was like right before Joe was leaving, but they ended up going to a caregiver of the person who passed away. So like all these things like lined up perfectly. And Scott and I were talking about this too, of like, we do want to have another dog in the house as JT ages because we feel like having either a puppy that we're raising or another dog keeps JT young. We kind of noticed his demeanor change after Joe left. Not sad per se, but he's just kind of bored. Like he's bored with us. So as JT ages even more, he's going to be 12. Like he doesn't have much time with us, God willing, but he's he's 12. Like we just have to be prepared for anything with him. But to be able to have another dog in the house where he like can play with him and kind of keep his spirits up, I think is really important. Um, I mean, I just truly believe like from a pet and animal behavior standpoint, like it really keeps JT young having like puppies around. But it's kind of a nice buffer that we, when we do puppy raise again, that Joe will be the person, the person, Joe will be like the dog that plays with the puppy where JT won't have to be like the actual, you know, cause JT's too old for that. So it's kind of like, oh, now we have Joe yeah, who's younger. Baby, and then you have like a grumpy old man to <laughs> exactly. be like, no, 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 that was exactly. a boundary you crossed. Exactly. Get out of my yard. Yeah. So th- everyone, thank you so much for your support and the messages that people send. It really helps a lot. This whole journey is so near and dear to my heart and for people to kind of just give those words of encouragement encouragement is it means the world. I will definitely be posting reunion videos. I know by the time this airs, it will already be done. But I'll for everyone in the chat, you can absolutely um, expect to see reunion videos on on social media. And what was the other? Oh, someone asked like why we're creating the puppies at night. That's a requirement for training is you do have to crate train these dogs for a variety of reasons. It really helps with 
your house. If you have a puppy that eats things, it keeps their health in check to where they're not ingesting things when you're not able to watch them. Puppies eat everything. So there's a lot of reasons, but also they're trained to be in crates because they're often spending time in crates um, in between training sessions uh, at advanced training. So they just have to be really comfortable with being in a crate. Obviously, they can't be in a crate for a really, really long time. So it's not something we use, you know, more than a few hours a day. But overnight, they do have to be crated for that reason, because they are going to be doing that in advanced training. So and once yeah, they, they sleep in crates in advanced yeah. training. And also, like, you never know when they go into someone's home, exactly. what that person's home is going to be like. They may, like, our dog still sleeps in a crate. You know, River's right. two and a half, and right. she still sleeps in a crate because... She's a nightmare. Yeah, and exactly. And if she's loose in the... I mean, that wouldn't happen with a, with a service animal, but you never know. You never know. They're, like, there are... duty, they may... They... It is... We always say this, like, dogs... Closet. Dogs are dogs at the end of the day. So, like... Totally. The dog that I... And they're, these dogs are so Just, freaking smart. The dog that I'm watching right now, the hearing dog I'm watching, is so smart. She knows who knows the rules and who doesn't know the rules. So, she's testing me that she's like, do you know these rules? And so, it's, you know, they could potentially, like, destroy a toy one day because you're like... You think that they're not going to... Anyway, so it just prevents a lot of really expensive surgeries, to be quite honest with you. Totally. It's like, <laughs> yeah, like, never forget the time that River was out of her crate in the morning before I was really up and about, and she ate an entire loaf of raisin bread, and I had to oh. drive her around the neighborhood to get her to throw it up. Yes, I totally remember. Because yeah. she got car sick, so you just... Yeah, when River was... I'll tell the story real quick in case you guys don't know what I'm talking about. When River was a puppy, until she was probably like one and a half, almost two, she used to get horribly car sick. Like you didn't have to have her in the car for more than 20 seconds before she would just start horking it up, everything that she'd eat. So we, every time we took her in the car, but like we had to drive her around. So every time we took her in the car, we would just put like cover the car in towels. And then we would just know she's going to throw up. You just like dealt with it. One morning, it was in, I think it, it would have had to be 2021, the first tech technical of the bake-off was a raisin loaf. Like it was basically like raisin bran bread and it had, and raisins are super toxic to dogs. The loaf was sitting out on the stove from the night before and (laughs) Brandon left for work and I was like not quite up and about yet. So he had gotten up, taken her for a walk and had left work. Brandon leaves for work at six in the morning. I was like getting up so that I could supervise her. And in that, you know, probably less than five minute span, she ate the entire loaf of raisin bread. And I came out and I saw the, the like empty thing where it had been sitting and I immediately knew what had happened. At this time, we still had Maxine living with us. And so I like ran down and woke up Maxine and was like, ah, River just ate this whole loaf of bread. I got to figure something out. I need you just to like be awake because the kids are in the house. And so I grabbed River, like shoeless and braless, drug her into the car, grabbed a bunch of towels on my way out and just drove her around the neighborhood. It only took like three or four minutes and then and she to get her to throw it up because I was like, I mean, That's I looked so it up online at first and like tried like, to give yeah. her hydrogen peroxide. It didn't work. And I was like, the, to- the clock is ticking. I don't want to have to spend five yeah. grand on like an emergency yeah. vet visit this it's, morning. And yeah. so much, so many vet visits can be prevented if you're just like aware of what your dog's going to eat. And that's why like we have to watch them in the yard all the time. They can't just like run free in the yard. We have to be aware of what they're doing in the yard at all times. Like for the most part, I know at this point JT can go in the bathroom, go to the bathroom by himself and I don't have to watch him because JT doesn't eat anything. But like until you really know you your dog, you just never know. And they teach you like to never trust your dog. Like never trust it off leash. Never trust. I see people freaking walking their dogs off leash in my neighborhood. It drives me up the wall because I'm like, anyway, it's like a general rule. You never like know, you never know and you cannot Honestly, trust your dog. Yeah. I don't trust my kids. Have to yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who I'm knows what they're going to shove up their nose? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? 
I'm going to turn around and they're just going to be coloring on the coffee table with a Sharpie, even though they know better. You know, you you can't assume they know better. It's really. They're going to be cutting their hair. They're going to be cutting their hair. Weird. Huh? Like that's never happened. Oh, no. There are some times where I turn around I and I'm like, it. what are you doing? And they're I, doing something. And I'm like, do, do you not not do you not know not to do that? I'll never forget when Miles, whose makeup thing did he get into? It was, I think it was Maxine's makeup he got into. And it was like this, it was when he was like really young. Yeah, he would have had to be like three and a half. (laughs) And right, he just, he like knew not to get into my makeup, but like other people's makeup, totally, totally on limits. It's totally fine. Oh yeah. And um, the other day I was, I don't, I don't know what I was doing, but turn around and the kid had my miles had like plugged in my curling iron and was like testing it out. And I'm like, so that gets to be 400 degrees. And he's like, well, I just wanted to see how hot it got. Like you're going to like, we're going to end up in the ER because if you, he was like, you know, slow motion going to like wrap his hand around it. And I was like, are you on crap? No. Or last night or yesterday afternoon, he was like doing some craft and I turn around to see him get it like getting ready in like the ready sprinters ready position to bound up the stairs holding a pair of scissors. Oh. Like, you just <laughs> gotta be on alert all the time. And like how many times have I told him, this is how you walk with scissors. You you know, like you hold him, you point him a certain way, you walk slowly, you don't run, doesn't matter. All of that left, he's like, but you've never specifically addressed bounding up the stairs oh with scissors. Oh my God. I love, I love these stories so much. I could listen to people's <laughs> kids' stories all day of like the things that they caught them doing or totally. like, you know, the stuff that they shoved up their nose or the things that they, I mean, it obviously I don't want them harmed, but I like when, when there's a good outcome, I think it's yes. just like the cutest thing in the like, world. Are you, are you serious? <laughs> my, my favorite thing, one of my favorite things, again, like as long as everybody's okay, probably at least half, if not more than half of my friends have found out their baby could roll over because they rolled off of the changing table. Right. <laughs> or off when of the table. And they just turned around for a second. Like, it's like, yeah, boink. you turn around for a second to grab something and you just hear this like, dunk. <laughs> like they don't get hurt they don't get hurt but it's just so funny like yeah they're and like you know kids babies are just mostly cartilage but so many of my friends have been like oh my my god God." i'm so like and that's scary because when they're babies you don't know if something's serious because they don't necessarily always cry or they have a headache or something but to anyone listening out there who whose baby rolled off the changing table and that's how you learned they could roll over you're very much not alone like i would almost say you're in the majority (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. Catherine says, I did shove a battleship piece up my nose when I was a kid. Had to go to two hospitals to get it out. (laughs) Did you shove anything? um, I did. I put a, I have two, my two older brothers are seven and 10 years older than me. My older brother, who's seven years older than me, used to just torment me. He would chase me around. He's the one who would like bare skin (laughs) fart on my face. Like he would chase me around and like threat he was always like i'm gonna tickle you till you pee like he would tickle me it was horrible he tortured me and at one there was one point where he was chasing me around he had my dad to this day has a bb gun by the back door to shoot squirrels to just like get him out of the yard because they eat his garden. My dad has like always had a little vegetable garden and the squirrels, you know, so he like has a BB gun and he uses it just to get squirrels out of the yard. Yeah. Our neighbor does that and they sometimes land in our backyard and then he comes over and grabs them. And I, whenever I see him going in our backyard, I'm like, Kevin, did you get a squirrel? My dad doesn't actually, I don't know that he's ever actually hit a squirrel. He just tries to shoot the BB like near them to get them to run away. But the BBs are fluorescent orange Mm -hmm. and 
my brother had gotten, my older brother had like found the box of BBs. And I mean, we're talking, they're, it's tiny. This is the size of like, I don't even know how, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's, a, it's small. It's like a, a Skittle? Yeah. <laughs> Way smaller than smaller. a Skittle. Smaller, okay. Yeah, the size of like. A BB. A BB. A, it's the size they're, of a BB. BBs are I, so small, yeah. I don't know how to describe how small this thing is. It's small, smaller than a Skittle. Quite the a bit smaller than a pin, Skittle. And the head of a pin. The head of a pin. Okay. <laughs> He had one and he was chasing me around the house, threatening to throw it at me. And I was just like scared because I was like, this is like goes in a gun. Like, I don't, you know, little did I know that if he had thrown it at me, I would not have probably even felt it. So I stole it from him and put it up my nose. Oh my gosh. Thankfully, it, I blew my nose and it came right out. Oh! I immediately started like panicking. I remember swallowing a quarter when I was, I don't know, six or seven. I don't know why I had a quarter in my mouth, but I was just holding it in my mouth. And I was at dinner with my family at Mi Amigos in Arizona. We loved Mi Amigos. I was just sitting there and all of a sudden I went, Gulp, and I got so scared. I got so scared that I was going to get in trouble. I don't know how anyone would find out, but I was like, what's going to happen? I just swallowed a quarter. I remember being panicked to a point where this is a core memory that I like specifically remember. And I don't think I've any, done anything like, oh, the only thing that got like real serious injury was I was supposed to be, we had like a neighborhood play for Christmas. This is probably, I want to say maybe eight or nine. So I was playing Mary, the mother of Jesus. <laughs> In case you don't, you don't know the reference. <laughs> that Mary. Mary. So I was playing Mary in this little neighborhood play. Like one of our neighbors <laughs> I laugh put about that for I know. I was playing Mary, the mother of Jesus. <laughs> I was the lead. <laughs> I was the lead character. I was the lead character. And I so we we had this little neighborhood play. Like the night that we were getting ready, my brother was chasing me around the house with a golf club. We were running around the house and we had a house that like everything connected so you could just run in a big circle. I stubbed my toe so hard on like a corner, like I hit the corner and it like, I don't want to gross everyone out, but it like really got, I like split open my foot basically. Had to go to the ER and like this whole thing and I couldn't be Mary in the play because I was at the hospital and I was so sad. <laughs> they had to find another stand-in for the mother of Jesus. Yeah. I don't oh, know who no. did it. I can't remember who did it, but somebody was able to just, oh, no. you know, pretend to be the Virgin Mary. Uh, Mackenzie says her boss is currently waiting for her puppy to pass her diamond earrings. No! Oh, no! What? <laughs> Lauren says, at two years old, my sister tried to scale the wall like Spider-Man, slipped and fell, and got a butterfly stitch on her chin. Oh. Catherine hit her mouth swinging a golf club in the house. But tell me, tell me you did not as a kid, everyone out there wanted to be Mary Poppins so bad that you literally thought you could jump off the roof with a, an umbrella. Like, I think there was a time when I literally thought, yeah, I just want to try it. Save you. And my parents were like, you can try it off of a <laughs> everyone's typing 100 <laughs> percent. Yes, correct. We all everyone agrees. And so my parents let me they they like met me in the middle and they're like, we'll let you do this off of a, of a little ladder, but you're not getting on the roof to jump off. I did it off the couch to first to test it, <laughs> Mira, to test it. <laughs> we had like a, um, in our backyard, we had these brick like garden planters that when I was growing up, so our yard that I we lived in until I was like eight or nine was on a real grade. And so we had like sort of, what do they call that? You know, it kind of like ladders down. Yeah, There's I know what you're talking about. It. It's like a berm or something kind of. Yeah, like a berm. I forget. There's a word for it. But um, we had these like brick planters that sort of like created one of the levels. And so you could get to it. It was really easy to get 
get up on because basically like the back part of the yard just it was level with the back part of the yard but then when you jumped off of it you were probably like a good three feet off the ground sure so that was always our launch pad because you could get a running start oh yeah and then yeah. Kind of jump off this ledge but it was really only like three feet but when you're only three and a half feet tall or four feet tall like it's it quite a lot feels so that was huge. always that was always where we would try to like try out our flying contraptions like umbrellas or like one time i remember we tried like building wings and we would do it with capes anything yeah I never mean, was seriously injured. i just wanted to fly so bad with an umbrella or a cape like it just when you're that age, you just have that fantasy that that's real and we want to let yeah, it be real you don't just for a why, moment. Yeah. Erin says, I wanted to be Annie and insisted on wearing her dancing shoes, Black Mary Jeans, and dancing <laughs> everywhere, even school. Well, I slipped and sliced my ear open on a desk. Ow. That was my first oh. experience with stitches. I would love to hear maybe next week people can join the chat and share more stitches, stitches, um, stitches stories. stories. I've never yeah. had, no, I have I had stitches. No, I've never had stitches. Yeah, I, I <sighs> had them that one time with the foot, and I do not recommend. No, thank you. No, thank you. Now let's hear from our great sponsors. Thank you so much for supporting our show by supporting Ned, one of our favorite brands. Ned, they're here to help with your sleep. Should I Chai is inspired by 5,000 years of ancient healing tradition, and it's Ned's biggest product launch to date. It is a mellow super blend latte for sleep that combines adaptogens, aminos, functional mushrooms, and magnesium. It's seriously the best ingredients out there wrapped in a heavenly masala chai inspired spiced body. Think cinnamon, think clove, think ginger, all the good stuff. It helps for amazing sleep and overall wellness. Discover how Shut Eye Chai can revolutionize your sleep. Get 15% off with code JOY. That's helloned.com forward slash joy or enter code JOY at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash joy and get 15% off. Sweet dreams. All right, let's see. What else is going on? I went back to CrossFit this week. Have some news, yeah. Yeah, that's my big news. I have been wanting, you know, I've been talking about this for years. Really, the things that were holding me back were that I love CrossFit Roots so much in Boulder. Their coaches are amazing. They're It's owned by Nicole and Eric Christensen, who are on the CrossFit, at least Nicole is, the CrossFit training staff. Like, she has been in, on the CrossFit training staff for years and years and years. They're very plugged into, like, CrossFit HQ. Nicole, I think, has another job within CrossFit HQ that I don't even, she's like a content, I, I don't know exactly what she does. They all have to be CFL3, I believe, or higher, which is like a really super high standard for coaching. And so none of their coaches are like, oh, you know, I am a college student, but then I like coach on the side. And so the caliber of coaching is just really next level. So I've had a hard time finding another gym that's closer to me that I really, like if I'm gonna pay 200 bucks a month, now that I've had that caliber of coaching and not just coaching, but like the intentionality around the gym is so, insane that the community just the, the way that people show up to class is a completely different caliber than what I experience at most of their gyms I just couldn't bring myself to pay that much money for a lesser experience <laughs> and so and I have had like some not great not even just like neutral or meh but like some truly not great experiences at some of the closer gyms in the past so all that to say I also could not bring myself to drive to Boulder Crescent Roots is about 20 minutes away so which is kind of a haul when you're trying to when you're already like trying to squeeze it in and so finally I decided that I wanted like I just needed to make it work I got my raise recently also so as a follow-up from our oh Nagoch coach 
episode with the Nagoch coach, which by the way, if anybody is interested, Jeremy and I have been talking behind the scenes about creating like a negotiation kind of boot camp for folks if anyone would be interested in that. So stay tuned for some more information. I'm not creating it. He's creating it. We've been talking about whether or not people in our community would be interested in joining his negotiation boot camp. So I got my raise. And so that was the other thing. It was like I was able to, you know, free up a little couple, little bit of extra money every month. So I went back to CrossFit. My first workout was last week. It was 21.59, hang power cleans and burpees. Like so just like getting right back Such on the wagon. Such a classic CrossFit workout. And I love, hang power cleans are actually my very favorite oh, CrossFit I love movement. Hang I love them yeah. so much. I got to wear my chesty. Ooh, yes. You know? <laughs> I haven't worn my chesty in forever. I have so many. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. It was just so fun. It was like, so it felt so comforting to be back. I loved, like I there's still plenty of people who I recognized from two years ago, which is also obviously like a great sign. I'm just really excited to kind of like have CrossFit back in my life for a while. And who knows how long this will last. I'm going into a very busy period at work. And part of this requires me to be able to go, like the kind of the deal that I set up for myself was like, okay, if I can make it at least three, ideally four times a week, then, and one of those times being on the weekend, like I need to make it three times during the week. So I like set up a deal with Brandon, like I get to go one evening a week where he's going to like handle dinner and do, and I'll get home like after dinner. And then the other two times I'm going to have to try to go over lunch. So I'm really hoping that that is able to work out for me, cross your fingers for me, but I'm really excited. And then my other fun thing is I'm going to go mountain biking today. So by the time you hear this, this will be old news on Instagram, but Jess Beacom from the Real Food Dietitians is, she lives in Boulder and she and I, our paths have crossed multiple times over the years. Her husband's also a nurse. We, she actually used to go to CrossFit Roots and she was at this mountain biking festival. So when I told her, you know, I, I had tried mountain biking and I loved it. She was like, well, you should let me know. Like I'm, she's really into mountain biking. And she was like, I would love to take you out. And her daughter, she has like a, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 year old daughter, a high school age daughter who is my same height. So shout out for being 5'2". And she was like, you can ride my daughter's bike because that's my big thing right now. I don't have a bike. So today she's going to take me out to Marshall Mesa, which is in South Boulder. It's like the perfect little area for a newbie. And I'm really nervous because I have my big fear of like not wanting to hold people back. But the thing that I have learned over the, I think the more people I talk to and the more I talk about this, the more I know that that is like such a universal fear that people have when they're trying something new is like they don't want to be the slow one. And what I have finally given myself permission to do is like accept that if someone is taking me out as a beginner, they are ready for that. Exactly. And they are expecting it. And for them, like, because I certainly feel this way if I'm taking someone out who's new, like skiing or hiking, like I don't care if we do one run or, you know, I don't care if we hike one mile. Right. It is actually fun for me to like have an experience for the first time with someone. And so I'm trying to like let myself acknowledge that that is how she knows that she's getting herself into. She knows that I'm going to need to stop. She knows that I'm going to be, you know, she's going to need to talk me through certain parts. Like she invited you. She knows what, she knows your level. It's kind of like whenever I go running with someone else, like Kelly, if Kelly and I will go on a run, I am just like, I'm not going to apologize for my pace. I'm not going to like, you know what you're getting into and you're willing to adapt if you're like agreeing to go on this run. So it's like, it's just... But I think that that, I know it really holds people back, especially from learning new things and from trying new experiences because they tell themselves like, well, I don't want to be the slow one. I don't want to hold everybody else back. Yeah. But I don't know what it is. We've talked about this a couple of times this year. I don't know what it is about this year for me that just like I was able to just completely let that go. And the number of new experiences that I have had this year, just because I was able, like, I still have that feeling. I just don't let it, like I acknowledge it and I'm like, oh, this is the time in this process where I feel nervous and I'm going to hold people back. Or this is the time in this process where my brain starts to tell me that it's time to come up with a reason that you fail. <laughs> like, 
Right. And it's just like, uh, like a way for us to excuse ourselves out of something, you know, and I, one of the rules I have in life is if somebody has either a problem with me, whether at work or with friendships, I'm not going to waste my time thinking about what they're thinking. If they can't come to me and tell me, I'm not going to, I'm not in the business of mind reading. So it's kind of along the same flavor of that is just like, I'm not going to waste my time worrying about my performance because they wouldn't, if they like made it a big deal, then that's on them. Then like they're being shitty, but that's not the case. Most of the time people are, it's like, I'm going to trust that everyone is an adult. And if you have an issue with me and something I did or something I said, I will trust you come to me. Otherwise, I'm not going to think about it. It's such a waste of our brain space. And it, it totally limits us. It, I counsel it really this on people us. all the time yeah. where it's like, you just have to live your life and trust that if someone else has something to say about it, they will come to you. And if they're not, on them. they're not worth it. Right. It is their responsibility. <laughs> I also feel like, like I have to trust that the person I'm going with is going to treat me as a beginner because that is something that can definitely happen. And I don't want to like make this about men versus women, but often it is in the first experience that when I've gone out with a group of guys, they're more likely to take the the attitude of like just dive in head first and figure it out with a beginner versus if I go out with a group of women, they're a lot more likely to be like, we're taking the easiest trail. Right. We want this to be a good experience for you. And we don't want, like, Heather just left a, a story in the chat. My first and only time going mountain biking, I had that fear after the 10th and after the 10th time falling while going downhill, I flew over the handlebars and walked my bike crying the rest of the way. I'd say slowing down would have been easier. Turns out my quote unquote full send mountain bike husband isn't the best intro coach. I hear that also where, and also I would even go so far as to say anytime your partner is trying to teach you a new skill, that oh, can be a that's rocky. real hard. Yeah. You that's know, you got to really have the you have right to have a very objective and very disconnected relationship because it's kind of like teaching your kid how to drive. There's too much emotional connection there. They got to have someone objective teaching them. But it's this is an example of the same thing. When I first started climbing, when I was at the DA's office, there was like elite level climbers. And they took me to Vidabu for my first climbing run. Everyone who was like a climber was like, they took you to Vidabu for your first climb? And like... I was just thrown to the wolves, terrified, like just thrown out into the deep end and probably shouldn't have done that. But like, it was that mindset too, where I'm like, I just don't want to look stupid in front of these literal elite level climbers. And granted, it like turned out fine. But I, if I, you know, for anything that I'm trying new, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be terrified. And I also don't want to feel like I have to like keep up with someone who's been doing this their entire life. (laughs) Totally. And I think like you need to trust the person you're going with that they are going to take it easy. But also you need to be okay with the feeling of knowing that this person is taking it easy on your behalf. And that can trigger some insecurities for a lot of people. But if you can just like get to that moment where your insecurities are triggered and say to yourself, oh, this is the part of the process where I feel insecure. And then I remind myself that the person who offered to take me out knows what they're getting themselves into. If I don't like it, I can stop doing it. I, that's the other thing that I I think I like this year, I finally started reminding myself of like, you know what, if I try this and I hate it, I'm just going to stop doing it. Like if I, I mean, and that's not always... An, an option like when I went heli skiing, I couldn't just be like, I'm good. Thank you. I would like to go back in the helicopter now. <laughs> like I had well, to ski down. Yeah. But there's a lot of, you know, if I'm out surfing and I'm like, if I get out, out there and I'm not feeling it, I'm just going to paddle back in or biking. Like if I get out there and I'm getting my ass kicked, I'm just going to walk my bike back to the trailhead. Give, you know, 
I'm not here to make it this harder than it needs to be. It's just like, it's like if I don't allow myself to feel that discomfort and move past it, then I'm not ever going to try anything new. Exactly. And it's also like, why don't you just go and have a good time? It's it's that competition mind sometimes we get in our head of like, maybe this person just wants to spend time with us. And like, they're actually having a good time and they don't care if they get in and like a hard workout today. <laughs> it's like, they just want to have a good time. Totally. They just want to hang I, out. I think that the excitement of having a new experience, like I have learned to let that, that feeling kind of drive. And then who was it who had the analogy of like the critical voice? It's like you're on a road trip. It was some authors. Like you're on a road trip and the critical voice, you get to say to them like, thank you for being here and trying to keep me safe, but you don't get to drive anymore. Right. You, yeah. That was some. I know. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, in a much lesser sense, yeah. that is how I've kind of learned yeah. to approach this. And the other thing I keep trying to remind myself is like, this is supposed to be fun. That's really like totally. the number one thing I tell myself is like, this is supposed to be it's fun. It's supposed to be fun. I'm here to have fun. If I'm not having fun, then I'm going to go home and that's fine. Yeah. If I don't like it, then it's not for me. Yeah. So I'm really excited to try mountain biking for the second time today. I did it one time. If you guys missed the episode where I talked about going to the mountain biking festival with my real nine to five job. And we were one of the sponsors of a mountain biking festival in Fruta. I got to do one run on a mountain bike. It was like a gorgeous $8,000 mountain bike <laughs> from Juliana. And your I got private to jet this, of like, a mountain bike and you're like, yes, and never the private jet of a mountain bike was my first experience. And so hopefully that is fine. But I'm going to try it again today and hopefully have a lot of fun again. That's so cool. Well, please post some pictures. It's a big day for you and your mountain biking. I'll be posting about Jojo reuniting with the family. I have one quick story to tell before we wrap up because it's quintessential me and I can't wait to see you shake your head at me. (laughs) I'm very excited. Please go on. I can't wait for you to just go, oh no. So one of my good friends, she's very wooey and like sees mediums and, you know, reads cards and things like that. And she was like, I did this reading with this lady who's on the East Coast. I'm already getting the oh no feeling. (laughs) Oh, you should do this reading with this lady. Her name is the her name is Terry, but she calls herself the Stone Lady. And I'm like, how cute is this? This is no. so cute. Uh-uh. <laughs> She's so cute. She's like, you need to to do a reading with her. She does like 15, 30 minute readings are really short, but she has developed this way. She's been a medium since like the 70s. She, she's like older. She's so cute. She's got like this really thick East Coast accent. She does readings based on, she has a little Lazy Susan in her kitchen with stones everywhere that she's collected throughout her years. Nope. She, just listen. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't have on any velvet, you know, capes or anything. So I did this reading with her Thought on Monday. you were going to say she wasn't wearing a bra. Go no. on. <laughs> she, maybe she wasn't. So it was so cute, though. She does this like thing where you ask questions and she talks to you and she it's almost like if you're in Sedona and you go to these vortexes that are healing, like the stones that are healing you type of thing. So she did this whole thing where we were I was asking her questions and she like hovers her hand over the rocks while she's doing the reading and she'll just pick them out. And she started by saying, I'm just going to pick some rocks and I'm going and the, the type of rock will like she knows all about the types of rocks that are like you know, what their meaning is, what they're, it's kind of like, you know, people who are really into crystals and what type of healing it is, right? Hold on. Can you back up for a second? Where are the rocks from? She just like goes on hikes and collects rocks? No, she collects these stones from like, I don't know, maybe she's at a healing store and she'll like get different types. Okay. So they're healing rocks. They're They're healing rocks. No, they're not like river rocks. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> so she has collected these since the 70s. And basically how it started was she used to have this like lazy Susan on her counter. Friends would come over. She's She's been a medium of like all sorts of, you know, different ways of doing mediumship. But she would have friends come over and she started collecting like healing stones. She, her friends would pick them up and be like, this is really beautiful. Tell me about it. And she started like telling people what the meanings were. And then as she was collecting more healing stones, people were picking up these rocks and it had like a somehow a connection to what they were going through. And so whatever skills she started to kind of like learn around how to read with these healing rocks with connecting to certain people's energies. So like she picked out two rocks at the beginning, two stones to like get a sense of who I am, which was totally spot on. The funny thing was, is see, I know people who are listening can't see this, but for the chat people, these are two hematite magnets I have on my on my desk. I've had these for like 15 years. And I like fidget with them whenever I'm feeling like really off centered. I've had these forever. When I was at the DA's office, I went to like one of those healing stores healing energy stores, whatever, medium stores. Someone said, if you're like feeling like you need grounding, get these. These are really good for that. So I've had these forever. And by God, the hematite stone kept coming up during my reading. And I was like, oh, that's so weird. I'm like, I have these at my desk and I like use them all the time. She's like, yeah, you absolutely need those for these reasons, blah, blah, blah. But it was a really cute, like, I think a lot of the times whenever I'm doing readings like that, I'm mostly looking for kind of like a validation. And Monday was a really hard day for me with like the whole thing with Joe. So it just, I happened to schedule it on that day too. But if anybody wants to like have a really good, it's really affordable. I think it was like 50 bucks for a half hour. Like she's, she's not in it to like, you know, gouge people for money. It's the stonelady.net. This is not sponsored. She's just adorable. If you want to like cute little grandma energy healer that like picks healing stones and does a reading with you, it was really adorable. I mean, the fact that she uses a lazy Susan is pretty cute. It was so cute. And then and then at the end, I had some time left because like my questions were answered. She's like, what do you want me to ask the rocks what they want you to know? <laughs> I was like, yes, I oh, do. No. <laughs> what did the rocks reveal anything exciting? Um, yeah, I mean, it's like I said, without going into too much detail, it was a lot of like validation. Like whenever you have a limiting belief, I truly believe mediums, tarot cards, astrology has a way of like, it's a way of validating. I don't think there's like, I think with anything, we can have the skepticism, we can kind of read into it what we want. But for me, I just I really like that it can provide a lot of validation for us when we question ourselves all the time. And that's a gift that I think a lot of mediums give to us. And, And I always think of like, it's nature, basically, you know, it's like nature is healing. And so these like cute little healing stones are healing for people. You don't have to believe in it. People can say That's it's fine. stupid, you yeah. know, but it's like, I just loved her. Catherine's very sweet. Catherine <laughs> says you guys are literally the yin and yang. We are a little yin and yang. We're happy to bring you some opposing, opposing viewpoints in this podcast. Um, Lauren looked her up on the website already. She said she looks she's, adorable. She's like a little. She's like a little grandma. It's a little cottage grandma. She's with her so stones. cute. And she's on her little FaceTime and she like doesn't know how to Aww. use it. So she's like, <laughs> you're looking like up her nose and then she yeah, turns it tracks. around onto the, onto the stone. Anyway. What else? Oh, Sedona Vortex. Susie was just at the Sedona Vortex. I was bummed at my lack of spiritual healing. Oh, that's so funny. What if I would laugh so hard if you go when you go to Sedona, if you like had some big spiritual experience and you come back with like and I'll come back beads and a cloak. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am like very like one step away from crushed velvet boulder person. (laughs) You are one step you're so close to it. I'm so close. I to mean, it so in a far. lot of ways. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. All right, guys. That's it for us this week. 
You can find us on Instagram at joyandclaire underscore. You can go to our website, joyandclaire.com. You can email us. This is joyandclaire at gmail.com. Next week, we are going to talk a little bit more about our Ireland trip. Ireland. We still have spots left. However, if you are hearing this today on October 26th, please know that there is a $100 discount that expires at the end of this month. And so if you sign up by October 31st, you will get $100 off your trip. So please, if you have been thinking about signing up, pull the trigger this month. We would be so excited to have you. We have about 15 people signed up so far and they actually were able to expand our group. So we have room we for have up to 25. We have some room with love you guys to join so, i'll link it in the have, show notes too yeah, yeah i'll link the, and the it's trip on our in the instagram highlights yeah. if you want the link we'll email it to you you can just email us this is joyandclaregmail.com we'll send you the link if you have any questions about the trip please let us know we really want you guys to be there and we're so excited for it maybe we'll even find some spiritual rocks thank you, you guys for joining us know. we'll talk to you next week bye everybody bye.